0: Hello, humans, oh, humans. Hello, humans. It is me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I am here with you on a special Ellie 2.0 Radio because this is the 250th episode of Ellie 2.0 Radio. And we're going to have uh, two interviews, two of my favorite interviews from all of, the, all of nearly five years of interviews for this show to uh, celebrate. But let me just give you a little retrospective very quickly because um, the interview is going to take up most of this show. We began with LE 2.0 radio on January 8th, 2018. Think about how different the world was back then. And within a month of beginning the show, I did this thing where I went down to the south uh, because I went on a listening and speaking tour. And I did a remote interview from a hotel room in Montgomery, Alabama, talking about my experience of going to Court Square in Montgomery, where I saw this placard about slave depots, which was just hurt my heart so much. But then another placard about Rosa Parks who boarded a bus on a fateful day on December 1, 1955, and changed history. Uh, During that time, the show was a half hour. But beginning in July of 2018, we went to a full hour for our show where I could give you a featured idealist in the first section. We would do the big interview in the middle. And then in the C block, I would talk about my work. And in the course of all of this time, We've featured a number of idealists like Rachel Maddow, or she. I talked about her getting her start by winning a radio contest in Northampton, Massachusetts. We talked to, uh, um, we talked about uh, Johnny Cash, who advocated for prison reform. Believe it or not, and he did. He testified before Congress. Sidney Poitier, the slap heard across the world, because back in uh, when in the heat of the night was came out in 1967, the idea that a black man would slap. Slap a white man was heretical, and Sidney Poitier insisted on that in the scene, so that he could tell the world that black people were done being under white people. And so that you know, I featured a number of different people as as featured idealists, but I've also done memorable interviews, beginning with in uh, Kathy Heyer with the Lift Garage, who was a social worker turned mechanic. We had Daryl Davis on, a man who goes across the country trying to convert KKK members and who collects their rem- memorabilia when he does that. I've had Nick Alm on. You may recall Nick, the very precocious, that's not even the right word, but very um, astute, At the beginning, he's been on the show three times, uh, a person who ran a nonprofit and now runs a corporation aimed at helping LGBTQ people within the workplace. I've had Chris Farrell on from Minnesota Public Radio. We've had a number of – I don't have even the time to tell you all the people that I've had, but but I'm going to tell you this. As I prepared for this show, I was blown away by the number of – variety of different people we've had on the show idealists people working to change the world and that brings me to the first of two interviews that I want to share with you this interview um, which will only go for nine minutes and you'll be able to pick it up you know you're going to have to go to the podcast website on AM 950 to see the rest but it's an interview with a man named Jamie Edwards who was a board member of an organization called Pink Socks Jamie Edwards um help found this organization where they literally give out pink socks and they create fellowship between people who have pink socks. It's a way of breaking down barriers, having something common so that you can have a conversation. Of all the interviews that I have done, this one with Jamie Edwards and the one that's following that are the two that I I hold incredibly dear because they impi- epitomize they – what I'm trying to do with this show, and, and they reflect idealism in the greatest sense. So here's the interview of Jamie Edwards. You're only going to get the first nine minutes, but you'll enjoy it. Don't worry, OK? And then I'll see you on the other end to introduce the other interview that is very dear to me, and um, I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> We're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio with your lovely Ellie Krug here. I've got another idealist now for the big interview who is going forward in the world, um, doing good and in a way which is far less litigious. And, and I have on the line with me Jamie Edwards, who is the CEO of Cloudbreak Health. Uh, Jamie, are you there?
1: I am here. Happy
0: to be here. Oh, well, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you so very much for being here on the show. We should probably let the audience know how you and I connected. And so um, I, uh, I'm i a I'm a Twitter junkie, okay? That's how I get a lot of news and information. And on Twitter, I happened to see something about an organization named Pink Sox, and um, and you had you had tweeted tweeted about that in one way or another, and I reached out to you and I asked if you'd be on my show. Does that ring a bell for you?
1: It does. It's a perfect recollection of what happened.
0: And so, uh, so Jamie, I want to, um, and I want uh, the audience to hear about pink socks. But first, there's a story even behind pink socks, which goes back to Cloud Break Health. And your organization, which is doing sounds like incredible work, again from um, a kind of a groundbreaking um, um, uh, way of doing medicine, can you tell us what about what is Cloudbreak Health and how did it start back way back in the early 2000s?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Cloudbreak Health um, is a unified telemedicine company that uses digital health tools. To help resolve healthcare disparities and address social determinants of health. And so, what basically all that means is we are trying to use technology to level the playing field for underserved communities and uh, these patients who typically find our healthcare system challenging. Um, and it originally started in 2003 by a gentleman named Andy Panos. And Andy had made a trip to Mexico. Uh, his family was in a car accident, no one spoke Spanish, and uh, a host of problems ensued um, that impacted him in such a fundamental way that he came back to the United States and said, If this is happening, uh, you know, if it happened to me in Mexico, in a diverse country like the United States, it's got to be happening every day. And so he ended up uh, doing some research in his hometown of Columbus, Ohio. And what most people don't realize if, you know, and Ellie, I'll ask you, like, how many different languages do you think are spoken in Columbus, Ohio?
0: I would guess maybe 50 to 70.
1: 126.
0: Yeah, Okay.
1: 126 (laughs) different languages are spoken in, you know, many cities around the country. And in Columbus, people will be like, oh, the number one language has to be Spanish. Well, it's not. It's Somali. Ah. And so as he dug into this problem, he realized that these patients are generally challenged in navigating the healthcare system. They're three times as likely to encounter harm, um, and their length of stays are all longer um, because you need to have these interpreters at the point of care in order to empower these patients to take control of their care and empower a doctor to make the right diagnosis. Um, You know, communication is the number one diagnostic tool that these doctors have. And so over time, um, Andy started building the company and I got involved because it was a distressed asset back in 2007, 2008. And so I stepped in to help, you know, kind of save the business, put it on a new track and and to help it become what Andy always envisioned it to be. And so Andy and I partnered together, I took over the CEO role, he took over, you know, he ended ended up staying on as COO, and we built the business from, you know, 30,000 of revenue a month to something today that's over $30 million plus of revenue, um, and to something that's in 1,800 hospitals performing over 100,000 encounters a month. The lion's share is bringing these language interpreters to the point of care for LEP and deaf patients, but we started to branch out to do other things like telestroke, telepsychiatry. And become a unified telemedicine platform that brings services into communities that need them.
0: Well, and of course, with the pandemic, um, I've got to believe that your services, the demand has increased tenfold, if not a hundredfold. Um, And and people are far more willing now, aren't they not, um, to do telemedicine? Yeah, Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think what the pandemic did was for us it really accelerated our product roadmap, not so much our revenue, but our product roadmap. We ended up launching new services into the market like Telequarantine, which we offered for free to our client hospitals.
0: What is that? Uh, what is Telequarantine?
1: So, Tele yeah, Telequarantine was a new service that we pioneered. Uh, we were the first people to do it in the country that basically enabled our devices to be rolled into a room and turn any hospital room into a connected care room. Um, And so doctors didn't need to go in to round on the patient. They could do it from outside the room, so Ah. we were lowering the risk of contagion. They didn't have to gown up, so we were reducing the use of PPE. Um, And it also reduced the isolation of that COVID patient in that room because they always talked about COVID being a very lonely diagnosis because no one could come visit you. And so in a HIPAA-compliant way, we gave um, those patients the ability to reach out to their family members on those devices, bring the doctor into the call so that they could take much more of a team approach to the care, and the patient knew that they were being supported by family, et cetera. So that was one thing that we did. We also launched our own virtual clinic to help see patients at home, um, and both of those are kind of newer areas for us but have proven to really move the needle in market and support what our mission is, which is to humanize healthcare. care. And for us, that's about really creating what is a, a better patient encounter where the patient is treated not like a object but like a person where the provider is not treated like a consumable but like a trusted coach.
0: I'm loving it. And, um, and Jamie, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, okay, but uh, maybe a oh, bug geez. in your ear, all right? You're aware um, – you know I'm transgender um, and I'm going to talk about this at the end of my show here. But you're aware that there are states right now like Arkansas – and maybe Alabama and maybe Mississippi that are yep. actually making it illegal for doctors to work with transgender youth um, on on medical needs, on therapeutic needs. You, are, I, I assume, you're aware that that's happening.
1: Yeah, definitely know that it's happening, and it's absolutely tragic. Um, you know, we take a lot of pride in our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. You've probably right. seen some of the stuff that we've been doing on LinkedIn. And um, everybody, everybody, LA deserves access to care um, and to high quality health care at that. And um, we really need to, I know there have been some companies that have come up recently who are really focused on the, you know, transgender and yep. LGBTQ space. Um, And I think that is nothing but wonderful for the industry, and we need to see more of it. Yeah,
0: I'm just wondering whether your company could do telemedicine for those families that are going to lose their health care, their health providers in Arkansas, since you're not located in
1: Arkansas. Our platform could absolutely absolutely be used to do it. What we are not (coughs) – pardon me, excuse me – is a technology-enabled medical group, so we don't have our own doctors. But we do Ah, have a – network of other physicians that we don't employ, that we plug people into. So if uh, you can help us, you know, plug into the right people, we're happy to help step in and solve that
0: issue. Well, let's maybe have that conversation um, off air, okay? And so, um, because I may very well be able to do that for you. Um, Okay. What, uh, oh, well, look at my clock. Jamie, um, we're uh, going to end the first segment here, but when we come back, I want to talk with you about pink socks, okay? Because... My great. audience absolutely needs to hear about this organization. All right?
1: Sounds good. Looking forward to it.
0: Okay. Uh, audience, we've been speaking with Jamie Edwards, from, uh, who is the CEO of Cloudbreak Health. When we come back, we're going to talk with him. He's a board member of Pink Sox, and you're going to just love this organization when we talk about it. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Sorry that we can't have all the interview of Jamie Edwards, but if you want to hear more from him, learn more about Pink Socks, go to the April 3rd, 2021 uh, link on the website and you'll be able to find the podcast. Thanks. She could see and we're back. So I told you that there are two interviews that really, really, really stick with me out of all of, I mean, it's somewhere between 100 and 150 interviews. The second interview um, that I I don't know if I will ever forget um, was with a, a young woman at the time, 25 years old, Dana Nelson. She was dying of cancer and she was spending – what time she had left on this earth working to get Minnesota legislators to enact a law that would allow medical assistance in dying. We're going to play the entire interview of Dana. And, and she – an idealist, you know, all the way. And, and, and just so you know, we lost Dana – Several weeks ago. But please, um, I hope that her interview resonates with you like it did with me. So here we go, and I'll talk to you on the other end. Kelly 2.0 Radio, AM 950. Okay, we are now ready for the big interview. And uh, for the big interview today, we have Dana Nelson. Um, Dana is uh, on the show uh, to talk about her her advocacy for the um, medical aid and in dying, medical aid and dying uh, legislature, uh, legislation pending in the Minnesota Senate and House. Uh um, Dana is uh, is battling cancer right now. And Dana, um, welcome to Ellie 2.0. And thank you so very much for being on my show.
2: Thank you, Ellie, for having me.
0: Now, Dana, um, you know, you, you got on my radar a couple of ways. One is... Uh, somebody from Minnesota Compassion and Choices reached out to me about having you on the show, asking if I might want to have you on uh, because you've, you have become um, perhaps not an intentional, but you have certainly become an idealist as you've been working to get this legislation in place. But I also know about you because uh, you wrote a wonderful piece in Minnesota Women's Press uh, that came out in January. So it's the issue of Minnesota Women's Press that came out this month. You and I have in common. I've, writ- <coughs> I've written and I am a regular columnist for Minnesota Women's Press. Dana, can you, can you give us a little bit of your story, please? And I, I, I know that you shared a great deal and, and certainly I don't, wanna, I don't want to be repetitious on stuff that maybe you're getting tired of talking about, but share what you're comfortable with so our listeners kind of can get a sense of where you are at in the world right now.
2: Sure. Um, I'll do my best to do that. And there have been a lot of changes just within the last month or so since the beginning of the year, actually, um, with my health. So uh, I feel like it's a good time to give an update. But I'll start by saying that in uh, April of 2018, uh, I was diagnosed with rhabdomyosarcoma which is a soft tissue and muscular cancer, so it can appear anywhere in the body and mine happen to be in my maxilla or my, my sinus in my face. So um, I went through a year of intense chemotherapy, radiation, a couple surgeries, um, lots of stuff, uh, all that never really resulted in my disease completely being gone, but my disease being stable at some point. So um, I was able to, um, ever since 2018, I've had periods of being completely in treatment. I've had periods of being able to uh, live a fairly normal life and go through minimal treatment while while maintaining a 40-hour-a-week job, um, which I have found to be an absolute privilege and um I have also had moments of um where I've been really terrified like this last month um I a year ago about moved home from Helsinki Finland where I was receiving the first couple years of treatment and where I had lived prior to my diagnosis just because I wanted to. I was going to school there and I loved it. And uh, it was just kind of my dream to be in Helsinki. So um, that's where I was. And uh, a year ago, I became stage four for the first time. So the cancer moved to my lungs and my lung was filling up with fluid on a weekly basis. And things were just not looking good. So I decided to move home from Finland. And um since then I've had it's been a roller coaster, honestly, Ellie. It's been it's been really up and down. And um the last couple months we've had things under control really well with a maintenance chemo. And recently that stopped working. So um I've been trying some new things and in the transition it's been um it's
0: been really, really challenging, too. Well, and to, Dana, Dan, we, were, we were supposed to have you on the show last week, and we had it all set, and then you had to go back into the hospital, right? Right. So, Dana, can I, um, a little, can I add a couple of things and then ask you a question? Your, your story in Minnesota Women's Press begins with you saying that when you were 19 years old... You know you went to Finland with the goal of of going to school there to learn about music because you played the trombone. Do I have that right?
2: You got it
0: okay and and you were having this wonderful life in Finland I mean you were you were part of the it Hills- was it the Helsinki Orchestra that you were involved in and you were also a a, a marathon runner. Do I have uh. all of that right?
2: <laughs> Not quite. I was I was a student and I was freelancing okay. with different orchestras in Finland, but I was I never had a full time position. No, I was I was working on it. You were working on it. Also okay, marathon runner. Yes, very proud marathon runner.
0: Okay, and 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 Dana, can I ask how old are you? I'm
2: 25 now.
0: 25 years old, Dana. Oh. Okay, all right. Okay, so let's. Um, Let's come forward to where you are today and sure. tell, tell us about the, the uh, Minnesota Compassion and Choices. Tell us about that organization. How did you get in? What does it do? And then how did you get involved with it?
2: Sure. Um, so I got involved kind of, I don't want to say by accident, but kind of by accident, honestly, um, when I moved home one of uh, a high school, a high school classmate that I went to school with in uh, an arts boarding school in Michigan. He had been working with Compassion and Choices out in D.C. and um, we'd stayed in touch uh, through social media. And so he knew I was really big into sharing my story and that I use that kind of as a coping mechanism for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he offered, he said, you know, we're looking for storytellers all the time at Compassion and Choices. If this is something you'd be interested in, I'd love to help set you up with us as a storyteller. So, um, he got me set up as a storyteller, introduced me to the right people at Compassion and Choices, and then I also kind of got <laughs> roped into being just a, a plain old advocate as well as a storyteller. Um, and that's something that I I didn't necessarily know I was getting into, but I got into it and uh, fell in love with the people I was working with and uh, all that we were doing, and um, even though it was more work on my plate, it, it's it's all definitely been worth it and, like, so rewarding.
0: Okay. Now, Dana, we're going to have to take a break, okay? But when we come back, I want to talk more about Compassion and Choices, more about the legislation uh, pending or will hopefully be reintroduced into the Minnesota Senate and House. And I want to talk more about you and about power, trying to regain power over your life, Okay.
2: Excellent. Thanks, Ellie, so
0: much. Okay, everyone, we're listening. We're speaking with um, an incredibly brave human, um, uh, Dana Nelson. When we come back from our break, we'll speak more with her, and we'll learn more about the need to give people who are dying the power, the choice to go out the way they want. Listening to me, Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. And we're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. Before we took our break, um, we were talking with Dana Nelson, who um, is battling cancer right now, 25 years old, a brave, brave human. And uh, Dana has gotten involved with Minnesota Compassion and Choices. Dana, I'm assuming Compassion and Choices is... Has chapters across the country, so you've been dealing with the, the the Minnesota chapter. Do I have that right?
2: Yes, yeah, you've got it. We all kind of work together, um, but then we have our our projects going on in each each state and jurisdiction.
0: Okay, and and, and what is <clears throat> what is uh, Minnesota Compassion and Choices attempting to do here in Minnesota? And most importantly, I want to hear from you why that is so important to you.
2: Sure. Um, well, for now, I think our main goal is just to get more people involved um, with Compassion and Choices and get more people on board with the idea of voting um, to pass the Medical Aid and Dying Act when... It becomes available on the ballot and um, just getting more people to reach out to their legislators and uh, say, hey, this is important to me. And this is important to the community of terminally ill people in Minnesota. So we need to prioritize this. So that's kind of what the goal is right now is to to start to prioritize okay. it because it's not it's not that it's not on people's radars. Um, But it's that it's low on the low on the list of priorities. So,
0: well, um, and 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 I'm interrupting you. But so is it is the goal to have it as a ballot measure that the state of Minnesota, that the Residents of Minnesota could vote on versus the House or Senate just passing a bill and Governor Wall signing it.
2: No, I'm sorry, it's it's totally up to the legislators. So it's I don't think it's anything that we could vote on. Um, I'm really clumsy at talking about this stuff. Still. No, 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 so-
0: no. don't worry. That's okay. Don't no. Don't worry about that. I just I just wanted to to understand the process, but um, but they they did introduce the bill. In both the House and Senate, you know, for the 21 legislature. And do you, do you, are you aware how far it got? Did it die in subcommittee? Did it get anywhere?
2: Uh, I, I'm i not really sure. All I know is there's more work that needs to be done. And we're, we're talking okay. about um, going to like the caucuses coming up at the beginning of next month. And, um, Continuing to reintroduce the bill.
0: Okay. And in short, I mean, what the legislation is about is about allowing for physicians to prescribe medication to people who are terminally ill, and those people can take the medicine at the time and choosing that they decide that the person who is sick, who is ill, who is dying, can make the decision about how they want to go out do I do I have that right?
2: Yes about when and if they want to take the medication the, the prescription itself is not saying I'm it's not an agreement to take the, the, the prescription ultimately it's uh, it's when and if.
0: Okay now, Dana? Let's talk about power, because you you write both in Minnesota Women's Press and then you you write on the um, Minnesota Compassion and Care ch- uh, website about the loss of power. And can you yeah. can you talk to us about that, please?
2: Sure. Um, I felt like ever since you know maybe not day one. I I felt really empowered, actually, the first couple months of my illness. Um, I felt empowered as I shaved my head for the first time. I felt empowered as I went to chemo and um, had tough moments with my health all throughout the beginning of treatment, just because I felt like I, I have a lot of fight in me and um, I quickly learned that it's not about having fight. Um, each individual, you know, it it's gonna happen how it happens for each terminally ill person. So, um that that made me feel really robbed of any kind of power that I had. Um, it made me feel like the cancer took away um my it, it took away everything from me. It took away my ability to run. My body was now too weak to run, something that I loved to do uh, before I got sick. Um, it took away. Ultimately, it brought me home to the United States, which was not where I planned to live out my last days. And I, I don't have any any qualms about that now. But um, it, it really took away every last thing that I had worked for. And medical aid and dying is important to me and I wanna see it happen. I wanna see the act pass in Minnesota in my lifetime because that would give me so much of the power back to say that, hey, if the suffering becomes too much for me I, I, I let you take everything else from me, cancer, but not this.
0: Okay, Dana. Um Now, we we know that there are a number of states that do have, you know, physician-assisted, end-of-life um, procedures. And I, I
2: want to just quickly say not physician-assisted.
0: Ah, okay. Thank you.
2: Yes, I just want to correct you on that. That it's... Um, yeah, or not correct, but many people are confused that uh it's not physician assisted. It is uh the prescription is prescribed by a physician, but then in the United States you must have you must be able to um to what's uh, consume or uh what's the word I'm looking for? To Administer the medication yourself.
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification. So there's medical aid, okay, medical aid in one form or another. In other states, like in Oregon, right? And in Colorado. Yes. And uh and and maybe is it in California as well? I'm not I'm not remembering fully. Yeah. Okay. So in theory you could move to one of those states. Right I could. But then that's not your home, right?
2: Exactly. I feel like why should I have to do that? Why should I I've already uprooted and left from Finland, which I felt was my home. I lived there for five years and I already when I when I felt like things were my options were becoming limited, I already moved back to Minnesota and which was fine because I have a home here. I have family I I'm privileged to have a place to be and to feel comfortable, but um, when I'm dying, the last thing I want to worry about is moving across the country and finding a new place to try and settle in, and not only me, but my family, how traumatic that would be for them.
0: Right. Right. And what? uh, give me an idea of Why is it, why do you think this is so incredibly difficult here in Minnesota?
2: Um, I think honestly, like I said, it's what we talk about a lot in Compassion and Choices, and I'm still fairly new to the organization, um, so I hope I'm, I'm, I hope I'm getting this right, but really that we just need to prioritize passing the act here in Minnesota. I think, um, as as you mentioned earlier, it's not a bipartisan issue. It's not about religion, necessarily, um, because even though Minnesota is a heavily religious state, um, a lot of even Catholics agree with the issue or are on board with mm-hmm. the act. Right. Um, but it's just about making it a priority and understanding that it's important to pass this act now because there are plenty of terminally ill Minnesotans who need to use this now.
0: Right. Right. And, 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 and in the end it's, it's your life. It's your choice. Why? You know, I mean, this is of course nothing that we can answer, but why is it that people believe they have the right to make, you know, to force their choices? You know, their, you know, their beliefs on other people when...
2: I'm not sure. It's really frustrating because I, after recently having just suffered a lot the last three weeks in the hospital, um, suffering more than I ever have in my life, I don't understand why anybody thinks that they can put a label on my suffering and say, this girl hasn't suffered enough yet. She, She has to endure more.
0: Dana, um, you know, I usually ask my guests, you know, what made them an idealist? And I don't even know, frankly, if you would classify yourself as an idealist. But, you know, and I define idealist as somebody who's trying to change the world, okay? But I want you sure. to, Dana, I want you to know, okay, you're, you are literally the epitome of an idealist right now. You are, you are working with what time you have left – to change the world. And I, I just have to tell you, I so, I just so respect you.
2: Thank you, Ellie.
0: We've got that just, a lot. we have just a minute left. What, what else would you like our audience to know?
2: Whew. Um, I was getting heated there towards the end. I, um, I guess I would just like everyone to know that um, my suffering is a lot and it's been a lot, even more in the recent weeks. But um, I never want it to invalidate anyone else's suffering, um, anyone else's divorce or loss of a loved one. Um, it's, you never have to look at my suffering and say that yours isn't great enough. Um, we all, we all have a lot to cope with. So just keep doing your best and, um, remember, look for the privileges in life and recognize those. That's what I do each day to keep me going.
0: Dana, um, I am just so grateful that you came to talk to us. Okay. And, um, exactly I, you happy. know, I, I all I can just say to you is thank you, and 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 wish you the, the best, um, and wish you some peace. Um, thank you, Ellie. Okay, well that was the interview with Dana. Now you could hear the the emotion in my voice during the interview, as well as Dana's. What you don't know, listeners, is that my, my producer uh, Brett Johnson, who's uh, here with me right now. He knows this is that when that interview was over, I couldn't uh, quit crying for a good 10 minutes, you know. And, and people, the the bravery to the end, that's what an, the idealism all the way down to the end. I, I hope that I – have that kind of dedication and vigor and focus to be an idealist when my time comes. You know, it really is about trying to make the world better and trying to change it. I, um, I want to thank you on show 250, and I wish that we could have had a live interview, but it just didn't work out. But listeners, who I reach apparently across the world, I I just want you to know it means a great deal to me that you tune in or you pick up the podcast and that from time to time some of you email me. It just means the world to me. I'm a kind of a hack trying to do the best I can. You know, but and, – and, and God, I wish I had more time for this show. But I'm trying to change the world in so many different ways. It's difficult. I need to thank my producer, Brett, who's here who has been with me throughout the beginning, from the beginning, throughout every almost every one of these shows. We've had a couple of other producers as well. Patrick and Dan are great. But Brett is incredible. You don't know Brett, but he is truly an idealist too. So we're going to close this out um, with Dana Nelson's favorite song, um, Lost in Yesterday by Team Impala. I'll talk to you next week. Ellie Krug, over and out. 2.0 Radio. Okay. Um, so San Francisco this week, let me tell you, just wonderful. I even got some great sea- seafood while I was there. Yep, 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 yep. And it was a wonderful trip. So, so uh, you know, I'm. Uh, it, it's always, if you've ever f- flown to the West Coast, uh, it's always tricky coming back. Depending on, you know, if you're trying to come back after noon – because of the time difference, it starts to get a little tricky. Uh, It can get tricky. So I had, just to be on the safe side, I had booked a flight uh, for four o'clock out of San Francisco back to Minneapolis, uh, which would have gotten me into Minneapolis about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, Oh, yeah, 10, yeah, 10-ish, which meant I would have gotten home after 11. Uh, So you know, but I knew there was an earlier flight that was leaving at um, one o'clock, and uh, but I didn't think I was going to make it with the way the uh, the training went, when I was leaving, and well, it turns out I got to the airport, got through security. I get to the airport. the The one o'clock flight was leaving in the out of the gate next to the four o'clock flight, and as it turned out, I got there just as they were ready to you know close the doors i mean everybody was already on the plane so i went up and i said hey do you happen to have any seats and uh, the delta person said well we do and so i you know she said it's going to be a middle seat i'm like well okay all right cuz it was going to get me home at uh, you know i would have been home at at 6:30 quarter to 7 instead of 11:15 get on the plane sit next to a woman Uh, It's the it's the uh, the next to back exit row. So the woman that had the window seat actually had nothing in front of her, all the way to the uh, uh, the exit door. And so, uh, but you know me, I'm I'm, you may not know this, but I'm an introvert, and particularly after I've done a training, after I've done all that work, you know, I just kind of want to like decompress. So I put in my headphones, I read usually the Atlantic. And I'd kind of just chill out. Well, we're an hour, hour and a half into what is a four-hour flight. And, you know, it's time to come by with, uh, you know, if you want to get something to drink. And so I pull the earbuds out. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'd like to have a Chardonnay. And the woman next to me who had been quiet the entire time doing her own thing uh, just piped up. She said, "Uh, I'll buy that for you. And I, I, I said, "Excuse me," and she said, I'll, "She said, I've got extra di- di- uh, drink tickets. I, I travel a lot. I'll buy that for you." And I was just, I was blown away. I was flabbergasted. She bought her own drink as well. And and so, for the remainder, t- remaining two and a half hours of that flight, uh, we, all we did was talk. And I'm not a big fan of like, like I said, talking on the plane, but it It seemed like the right thing to do, and then it just kind of took on a life of its own. Well, I found out you know she lives in the Twin Cities. She's a dog person like I am. Uh, she you know lives alone, you know, found out some other things, you know, she w- involved with a company. she actually does training like I do training, uh, but not uh, she does training not for sales. I do training for helping humans get along with each other better. But it was a lovely, incredible conversation. It was. Um, We even got another round of drinks, which I bought at that point, you know, not like we're having this huge party on Delta, trust me, but it was a reminder to me that you can, you know, never tell the story about anybody simply by looking at them. And I just was so touched that she would do this. And then we, we, you know we've emailed now since we're back about trying to get our pups together and you know and and me meeting uh, some people in her life and and i just so incredibly thankful that she did that had she not i i'm sure we wouldn't have communicated i mean it would have been a nice hi how are you at the end of the flight you know as we're getting our stuff ready to get off but i just uh yeah i, I i'm very thankful And it reminded me about the power of you know kindness, and how one person's kindness can act to create connections, and how those connections can make you feel not so alone. See, see how that works? Okay. Well, anyway, I wanted to share that with you because that's a happy Ellie Krug story. All right. Well, listen, we've got another show done. Okay. This was show number two four nine. All in the can. Big thanks to my producer, Patrick. You, uh, Patrick, you always do great, and I really appreciate it. And to you, my listeners. We didn't hear from you today, but that's okay. The four of you are busy. I know it's a beautiful day, so don't worry about it. We'll catch you some other time. Um, but between now and when you hear my voice next, will you do me a favor? Will you go out, do something kind for another human, and in your own way, make the world better? Will you do that? I'd appreciate it. All right. Take care. Talk to you next week. Thanks so very much. Ellie Krug, all out. Bye.